Welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. Uh, I just thought I'd mention that I just got back from uh, Africa about two weeks ago. We had a wonderful minister there in Ghana, which is in West Africa. I've been going there for many years, but haven't for about three years because of COVID. So we were, it was a nice time to go and restart our Grace Life Institute in the main city of Accra. But I went a week early and did some conferences in the second largest city called Kumasi, which is about a five hours drive away. Um, and there we had a conference for about 250 pastors with a wonderful response. Even the chief of the region, the Asante chief, which Asante is the main and chief tribe or the, the big prestigious tribe in Ghana. And uh, the chief came on the last day of our conference. Well, what happened was we went to visit him in his palace and he sat on his platform in his chair and uh, we had to stand out here. And you don't talk directly to the chief, you talk to his elders or delegation across from you and then the spokesman called the linguist will talk say what we said and the reason is he wants to protect us from saying anything wrong to the chief and then he'll say he'll the chief will talk to the linguist who will talk to us and that protects the chief and says he says something wrong so anyway that's how we communicated and I invited him to the we gave him some gifts I gave him my book simply by grace we invited him to our conference and he came and spent the whole last day with us and he heard me preach the gospel and uh, and then he, he wanted us to pray over him so I'm leading in a time of prayer in this picture here and um it was a very very good conference and uh, you know a number of people made professions of faith uh, this is a group that believes you have to work your way to eternal life in heaven. And uh, I think a lot of them now are resting in the assurance of their salvation uh, from all indications. And then I, then I flew the 20-minute, 30-minute flight to Accra to join my uh, um, partners in ministry there who are pastors, retired pastors from the United States and taught at our Grace Life Institute, which is uh, a week-long program. And we also have an advanced class. So we had fit, we limited it to 50, and we had an advanced class of about a dozen to have graduated before. So it was a wonderful ministry, a great time to be back in Ghana after so long, and we were all happy to see each other. So um, I mentioned the podcast. Uh, this week's podcast is a report on Ghana, if you care to uh, go there. It's simply by grace, whatever app you're using. Or if you don't have a flip phone, you can, you can scan this right here. Um, and get, and, and get there just as easy. And I did bring a few books in the back. Uh, I've added six chapters to the fishing book, which you might find interesting as well. <clears throat> well, this is a scripture that was just read to you by my wife, Karen. Um, and we're talking today about four dimensions of evangelism. Um, you know, I, I want, really enjoy the beautiful music Grace plays and the wonderful hymns that we've sung. I love Don's voice. I'm looking forward to heaven where we can really worship together, aren't you? And, you know, we, we drop in here a couple times a year and visit with you. And I've, it's hard to remember names when you're gone for six months and don't see you. So I'm looking forward to being in heaven and fellowship with, him, with you. And, and you're going to be sinless. So I'll really enjoy the company. <laughs> I will, too. And then I'm looking forward to really digging into God's word and finding out the answers to some of these mysteries when I get to heaven. And I'm really looking forward to winning more people to Christ when I get to heaven. See where I'm going with this? 
That's the one thing we can't do in heaven. That places more importance and weight on how and why it must be done in this life and now. A poll was taken not long ago, I think it was this year or last year, and it said about one half of those who profess to be evangelical Christians have not shared their faith in the last 12 months. That's a startling statistic. I'm sure it's higher in this church. I know you're very active in evangelism. I'm teaching evangelism. I taught it in the spring. I'm for Schaefer Theological Seminary. I'll be teaching again in the fall. So I've been doing this kind of research. The reason I wanted to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 1 through 6, is because it shows us that there's something going on when in this activity we call evangelism that is more than just me sharing the gospel. It gives us a behind-the-scenes look at, at, at different dimensions, different aspects of what's going on. For example, notice that there are really four actors or four dimensions, we could call them, four different persons. First of all, he says, therefore, we, since we have this ministry, that's us, that's you and me who are believers. Those are the, the readers of Paul who were believers. And then later he talks about those who are perishing, whose minds have been blinded. So there's the second group. There's us who are saved. There's those who are not. And then there's the God of this age who's working behind the scenes. That, of course, is Satan. And he's doing his thing. He's blinded their minds. But, gratefully, the passage ends by talking about Jesus Christ the Lord and what God is doing and why it's important that God must shine his light through that veil and penetrate that darkness with his light to bring that glorious gospel to them. And, and only God can do that because he created light to begin with and he can shine that gospel light in them if we cooperate in this ministry that he has given to us. So you see in that passage something very interesting, a kind of a complete look at and behind the scenes look at what we call evangelism. So I'm not really going to expound this passage today word by word. I'm going to just point out how each of these four different actors or dimensions uh, kind of play out and what's involved. So we have the four dimensions. We have, if we were to graph it, we have uh, the ministry of believers to those who are perishing unbelievers. And then we have Satan who is working behind the scenes doing his thing. And God who is also working behind the scene, thankfully, to do his thing. Four different aspects and ways of looking at evangelism. Well, what about, first of all, let's, let's not do it in the order of the scripture, but I want to do it in this order. First of all, let's start with God, because all things do start with him. The divine dimension. He wants all to be saved. We know that. And uh, that's why he has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. But we also know, and I'm, I'm quoting a lot of scriptures here and only the pertinent parts because I don't have time and space. But I just want you to see that it's a consistent these truths are consistently supported. The divine dimension uh, is that God, first of all, wants all to be saved. First Timothy 2, verse 3 says, God, does, he desires all men to be saved. Now, we don't, do not agree with the, the five-point Calvinists who say God has, does not want all men to be saved. They would read this, God wants all kinds of people to be saved or all classes of people to be saved. Um, representatives from each class we say no God wants all to be saved that means every person 
born into this world. I can't conceive of a God that does not love every person born into this world. So we know that he wants all to be saved. And then he, that's why he commands us to be witnesses. And we could point to a lot of verses, Mark 16, 15, go preach the gospel to all the creatures and uh, all the world, uh, to every creature is how he says it. Every creature is just a uh, figure of speech, meaning everywhere, everybody. And Acts 1.8 says, you shall be my witnesses or you shall be witnesses to me. So it's very clear that God has passed on the responsibility of evangelism or outreach or witnessing to us who are believers. Of course, he spoke those words to his disciples, but it couldn't have been just to them because they didn't go into all the world. They didn't go into every nation. And so it had to include us in his foresight and in his uh, imperative to go. We also know from the divine dimension that God works in people to bring them to himself. That's his behind-the-scenes work. Now, how does God do that? Well, John six forty four says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Jesus said that. So no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Now, how does God draw people to himself? I don't know that I can explain it fully, but God does something where one day a person is not interested at all in spiritual things, and then maybe something happens in their life where they hear something, and suddenly they're drawn towards God. We do have a good clue from Jesus who said, if I am lifted up, John twelve thirty two, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. So we do know that the preaching of the gospel, the presentation of the gospel, the explanation of what Jesus did on the cross and how he rose from the dead, that in itself draws people. God uses that to draw people. And then there's the work of the Holy Spirit. And John 16, 8 says, the Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So in the word convict means to convince. It's the Spirit's work to convince people that what they're hearing is true. What they're hearing about God, their sin, salvation is true. Now notice something very interesting here is you see the work of the Trinity and they're working together to bring people to salvation. God the Father is drawing them. Jesus Christ was sacrificed on the cross, lifted up, and and he's drawing them and the Holy Spirit is convincing them. And so the Trinity is working in conjunction with, with one another, if we can put it that way, in union, to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then also, when we think about the divine dimension of evangelism, we remember that God is important in this because he answers prayers. He answers the prayers that we pray for other people, for ourselves, as we go about the task of evangelism. John fourteen fourteen. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's kind of a broad promise, isn't it? Pretty bold promise. If you ask anything in my name. In other places it says, according to my will, 1 John 4, uh, um, 5, 14, 15, I think. It says, if you ask anything according to his will, he hears our prayers and he will do the things that we've asked. So it's got to be according to his will, of course. But in his name, he's under his authority as one of his children. What a promise that is. What a wonderful promise. But it's so hard to believe. Because, you know, I've been praying for some people, like you have, for decades since I've become a Christian. And they've not been saved yet. 
And now they're older and I'm wondering about them. But I think God is still faithful to answer this prayer. I had a boyhood, boyhood friend and, uh, and we did a lot of mischief together. But eventually I became a Christian in my late teenage years. And about then he moved off and got into drugs and drinking, was an alcoholic, uh, all kinds of bad stuff. And he would call me every now and then to ridicule and mock my Christianity and still called me a friend. So we tried to keep it friendly, but it always ended up him arguing about something, uh, usually when he's drunk. So prayed for Walter for decades. Prayed for him for 50 years. 50 years, and he's still mocking, rejecting the truth of God. And then I didn't hear from him for a long time, and I decided to initiate a phone call with him and started the conversation. I found out he was about ready to die. He had several heart attacks and he could hardly breathe. And this went on for about uh, six months. I kept in touch with him. And before he died, he gave a clear testimony of his faith in Jesus Christ. It took that long for God to answer this prayer that if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. And so when we do evangelism, we're, we have to be conscious that there is a God and he's working behind the scenes in people's lives in ways that we don't know or understand in ways that we do not see years ago I think it was 1919 uh, Lewis Perry Schaefer the founder of Dallas Theological Seminary published a book called uh, True Evangelism and the point of his book was really to counter a lot of the shenanigans and theatrics that was going on in evangelism in those days the unclear message and, and tactics to get people to respond and the main point of the book, if I could summarize it, well, he summarized it this way. He says, prayer is the chief work of evangelism. Prayer is the chief work of evangelism. We talk to God before we talk to men and women. It's a good point. We can't leave God out of the equation, just go launch out thinking that we're going to evangelize the world or do world missions or win people to Christ. God is a very, very <laughs> crucial is an understatement part of that. But you know, one of the interesting things I've discovered as I look at prayer and evangelism is that the emphasis in the scripture is not praying for unbelievers. It's praying for the witness. The only place I can, I think I can find where we see prayer for unbelievers is in Romans chapter 10 where Paul says, I pray for my brethren to come to the truth. He's talking about his Jewish brethren. The other places I see Paul asking, pray for opportunities, pray that I be bold, pray that I make the message clear, pray that God would open doors. The focus on prayer and evangelism is for me and you, yourself. God, please help me to be bold, help me to be clear, help me to look for opportunities. That's a prayer God will answer too. So there's that divine dimension of what we're doing. Um, how do we incorporate that? Well, we should cultivate love for people. If God loves all people, we should cultivate that kind of love ourselves. We should learn to love people the way he loves them. When Jesus looked on the crowds, he, it says in Matthew 9, he looked on them with compassion as sheep without a shepherd. Is that how we see people? And then make his commission our priority. 
whatever we do, whatever we're called to do, whatever gifts we have, whatever, whatever programs we're involved in, everything should keep this in mind that we're to be witnesses and we have a ministry of reconciliation, bringing sinners, unsaved people together with Christ who has given us this ministry of reconciliation and keep it a priority. Preach Christ through his word. If it's Jesus Christ lifted up that draws people to himself, then we should be very conscious and consistent in proclaiming his death and his resurrection to people. It's important to live a good life. It's important to have a Christian lifestyle that others can look at. But nobody can get saved by your lifestyle. There eventually has to be the words that explain the gospel. Lifestyle opens the doors, opens hearts, opens minds, but there has to be words that follow. Let's admit that there are some people in other religions and even cults that have better lifestyles than you and I would have externally, morally speaking. So there has to be the words that come, the message of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And then pray for yourself first and then others. As we already said, the emphasis, Lord, help me. Well, that's the divine dimension and how we might apply that. The satanic dimension, the God of this age is said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, is his job is to keep people from the gospel. Or if you believe to mess you up afterwards with guilt or some sin. But let's talk about what he does to keep people from the gospel. In Luke chapter 8, we have the parable of the four soils. And the first soil is seed is sown on hard ground and the birds, they come and they eat the seed. It says the devil comes and takes, and when Jesus is explaining the parable, he explains it to the disciples that the birds are the devil coming and that takes away the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. So Satan wants to do whatever he can to stop that word of God from taking root in a person's life. I don't know how he would distract, except by maybe worldly pleasures, or anything can distract. A phone call, uh, timed at the right time, uh, any kind of interruption. But that's his job, is to keep that word of God, the gospel, from taking root in hearts. And then he blinds people's minds, which was in our passage in 2 Corinthians 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded who do not believe. So people are walking around with a veil, a satanically induced veil. Have you ever wondered why you talk to people and you just say, why don't they get it? Why can't they just get it? It's so simple. It's so simple. It's so true. Uh, It's undeniable that Jesus rose from the dead. There's eyewitness accounts. It's the greatest historical fact with the most uh, uh, accounting that, uh, in history. And, and yet people don't even pay attention to it. Why can't they get it? Their minds are blinded so that they cannot believe. And then he hinders God's messengers sometimes. First Thessalonians 2, verse 18, Paul's explaining to the church there that he wanted to visit them. He says, I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. I don't know how. He doesn't say. Maybe because he was persecuted somewhere. Maybe, I don't know, he talked about a thorn in the flesh in other scripture. We don't know exactly what hindered him. He doesn't explain it. Sometimes God hindered him, kept him from going up into Asia, so he went into Europe, Macedonia. But 
Satan can hinder God's spokesmen, God's messengers in some ways that we, we would know it if it happened, I think, but it's hard to explain. And then he deceives people about Christ. In 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So just because someone stands behind a pulpit and wears a suit and a tie doesn't mean they're preaching the truth. There are people doing that all over the world today who are clueless about Christianity and what it means to be a Christian and are, are charlatans, uh, fleecing the shock, fleecing the flock, shocking the flock. And they will meet their due judgment someday, but there's a lot of people who are out there preaching crazy stuff. And maybe you heard recently, uh, not too recently, but the last few years of those who prominent preachers who have just walked away from the ministry said, I don't believe in God anymore. I'm not a Christian. People who've published books who are all over the place on the media. Uh, maybe they are Christians. I don't know. I don't know that. The point is, is that we, we can't, we know that Satan is at work and he can look like an angel of light. That's what he was originally. And anybody can look like a preacher and spout words. We have to be discerning, I guess, is the lesson. Well, keeping this in mind that Satan is another unseen dimension of our evangelism, how do we incorporate that into our outreach? Well, we must engage in spiritual warfare. We're not just talking to a person. We're also engaging in a battle for that person with an unseen enemy. And there are scriptures we'll mention later, as you know, that talk about spiritual warfare. A lot of that warfare is done on our, our knees. And I think it's very important also to remember who the enemy is. It's not the person, no matter how mean they are to you, no matter how much they reject your message, no matter how much they mock you, they are not the enemy. Look at them with love. And with patience and remember who the enemy is that has deceived and blinded them when we share the gospel. Does that make sense? So we got two dimensions, both unseen, God and Satan. Now let's look at the seen dimensions or actors who are um, the unbeliever first. And then we'll look at our responsibility as believers. First of all, we know that the unbelievers are spiritually dead. Ephesians 2, 1 through 2 says, and he... Reminding the Ephesians, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now, again, we don't want to misunderstand this passage as uh, our uh, extreme Calvinist friends would, would understand. They say that to be dead in sins means you're a corpse. You're totally unable to respond to God. But that's not why, the way the word dead is used. It's more a figure of speech to mean that uh, you're separated from God. In fact, in my book back there, the white and black one, I list seven different ways the word death is used. When the prodigal's son left, the father said, my son was dead, but now he's alive. It didn't mean he didn't exist. It just meant that he was separated from the father for all practical purposes. So when the scripture says that, that we as sinners were separated from God, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, it means we're totally separated with God with no way to merit acceptance before him without the gospel, without Christ. It doesn't mean we cannot respond to the gospel, see? 
And the way it's misinterpreted is, I don't want to get too far and deep into this, but what strong Calvinists would say is that, well, God's got to, since you can't respond at all, God's got to give you the faith to believe. But in order for you to believe, he's also got to regenerate you. So he regenerates you so that you can believe and be saved. Is that the way the scripture teaches it? No. <laughs> it's you believe and then you're regenerated, right? How do, we, how do we believe? Well, God draws us. It's through the gospel. It's through the gospel of Christ and the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we just mentioned. So, the unbeliever also, uh, the scriptures say, are, is blinded by Satan, as we said, and he's influenced by the world system. That kind of goes together, so I put them together. And again, the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. Satan is in charge of this world, and that's why he's called the God of this age. And so part of that blinding, I think, comes through our culture that has conditioned us not to think about spiritual things or, or about a deity or a God that exists or a God who loves us. And so that's why I say influenced by the world system because he's in control of the world system. First John 4, I forget what verse is it, talks, or, talks about the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. Literally, it's the whole world lies in the lap of the evil one. So no wonder it's difficult for them to believe. They've got a lot against them, an enemy and a whole world system that he's created that enculturates, influences, and infiltrates our thinking in our, the mind of the unbeliever to outright reject truth or the existence of God without even thinking about it. The unbeliever is loved by God. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Don't even need to finish that verse for you, but that's enough. For God so loved the world. We need to remember that they're unsaved, but God loves them. And the world is not just the world of the elect, the chosen. It is the world of all people, of every race and every color and every tribe and every tongue who will be worshiping before the throne, Revelation tells us. God loves them each and every one. And then, again, they are not the enemy. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. So who are we wrestling with? He goes on to say principalities and powers. Unseen forces. Not, they are not the enemy. The unbeliever is the victim of Satan's strategy. And so it would do good for us in our evangelism to remember this perspective, this aspect of the unbeliever, the one that we're trying to reach. And we should pray for God to work in that person's life. It's not always possible. Maybe you've shared the gospel with a person, but it's not always possible to follow up or be close to that person or communicate regularly. They may live in a different place. I'm thinking of a situation in my own family, and my family's all heard the gospel from me. And, and so it's come to the point where there's nothing else I can say to them, but I can pray for them. And here's what I get back. And this is, this is going on for decades. Uh, one of them will call me and say, hey, I had a plumber working for me today. And he talks just like you. He believes all the same things. And he says he's a Christian and he reads the Bible. And I told him about you and your books. And he wants to read some of your books. So would you send me some of the books for him? Okay. This has happened over and over and over again. I can't be there, and I've said what I'm going to say, but God can send people to that person. 
if we understand how God works. So pray for him to work in people's lives. Pray against Satan's interference. If it's his job to run interference, to pluck up that seed or to hinder the messengers, pray against that. And don't take it for granted when you you set out to do evangelism that the path is going to be smooth. Try to pray ahead of time, preemptively, for those obstacles to be removed, uh, both from the person's heart and from whatever physical, transportation, whatever, health issues. We might incorporate those in our prayers. Be patient with people. They're victims. They're not the enemy. If we can just have that mindset, we would be more patient in sharing the gospel and less pushy. And be sensitive to their needs, both their spiritual and their felt needs. We know their need of an unsaved person is to be saved and to have eternal life, to be born again. That's not what they realize, though. But they might be hungry or thirsty or poor or lonely or ill. They have felt needs. And if we're sensitive to the felt needs, we can use those as open doors to get to their real need, their main need, the spiritual need. And you know, the best example of that is in John chapter 4 when Jesus met this woman at the well and asked her for a drink. And, and then he said to her, if you would ask me, I'd give you living water and you'll never thirst again. She says, hey, I want that. Now, this woman has seven men, so it tells me that she wasn't a young gal and carrying water is not something that she wanted to do the rest of her life because she was an older person anyway. And she says, well, give me some of that so I won't have to come and draw this water. This water that bursts from within, yeah. Jesus knew her spiritual need and addressed that. She was thinking at first of water that she had to draw from a well every day, probably. Jesus used the water to bridge to the spiritual need of living water, eternal life. So when we look at the unbeliever, realize we all know that there's spiritual need. But what is the felt need that might... give you an open door to address them. And you know, usually their felt need can be met if their spiritual need is met. If someone's lonely and they come to know Christ, they're suddenly part of a family, right? The the body of Christ. If somebody's ill and they, they come to know Christ, they have more people to pray for them. And they could even have healing. I'm all for healing too. I mean, there's so many things that that the felt needs can be met, but it starts with Jesus Christ. But be sensitive to their felt needs. Well, the last dimension of responsibility, of course, is us who are believers. And so this is where all the points kind of converge. And so we see them converge here, and I repeat myself a little bit as we talk about what is our responsibility. How do we incorporate all four dimensions, God, Satan, the unbeliever, and, and us believers, in the activity of sharing the gospel and evangelizing people? Well, as we said, love unbelievers. Ephesians 5, 1 through 2 says, be imitators of God and walk in love. In love. If we're imitating God, we're going to love people. And walk in love. That means live a lifestyle that loves people. And secondly, accept God's ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians five eighteen uh, talks about God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's not a burden. It's a gift. Paul calls it a grace. He calls it a gift, his ministry. And we should look at it that way too. We have the privilege of joining together with God 
in doing the work of his heart. Isn't that wonderful? That's a privilege. That's a gift. He could have chosen to use angels or some other method, but he chose to give us that privilege. And we should take that humbly, but also very seriously as a responsibility that he's left for us to do. Because if we don't do it, who's going to do it? And then maintain a warfare mentality. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 is the long passage on spiritual warfare. And there it talks about being be strong in the Lord and it, it put on the armor of God. And it talks about the pieces of armor. And I like the way it ends. I think it's verse 18 says, praying always. So we're, as we're putting on this armor of righteousness and faith and, and the gospel of peace and so forth, we're praying always. That kind of covers everything. It's a, a warfare mentality. Spiritually speaking, the world is a very dangerous place and we shouldn't go out naked or alone, unguarded. We should be defensive and offensive with the gospel. So be prepared to share the gospel. That kind of where I want to land and, and that's why I'm teaching evangelism to help prepare people. Paul prayed or asked for prayer in Colossians chapter 4 verses 3 through 4. Um, he reminds the Colossians praying for us that God would open to us a door, give him an opportunity. That I may make it manifest, it, the gospel, as I ought to speak. The word manifest is sometimes translated clear. It means brought out into the open, brought to light is what that word means in the original language. Paul says, pray that I have opportunities and that when I get them, that I keep the message clear. Keep the message clear. So you see, there's a lot of room for wisdom when we share the gospel and knowing what to say, when to say it. And every situation is different. But that's why I think it's so important to be trained, to be prepared in some way of sharing the gospel. Here's what I would suggest for you. I would suggest, if you're not already, to make a list of your 10 most wanted. Pray for, make a list of 10 people that are, are most on your heart and mind that do not know Christ and begin to pray for them. Not just pray for them to be saved, but pray intelligently that God works in their life, that Satan be hindered, that um, their minds would be open, that they're, and pray that if they have a need that you can meet, that you, God would give you the opportunity to step in and meet that need. That's an intelligent way to pray for people, I think. And then I would encourage you to be trained in some way to present the gospel. Now, there are all kinds of good tools for doing that. And we do it different ways in different places. And like overseas, when we have a language barrier, we use the, the wordless book, you know, of colors or a wordless bracelet. We give those out as gifts to explain what each color means as part of the gospel. You have uh, the Evangel Cube. You have a ch uh, Child Evangelism Fellowship uh, presentations. There's good presentations out there. One I always recommend to people, and the one I use in, in my training is is Larry Moyer, he's a good friend of mine, I trained under him for two years as an apprentice evangelist, uh, is called the good news, bad news approach. Bad news, good news approach. <laughs> and um, he has that in just about every language and track form, but you can go to his website, evantel.org, and, and hear a verbal um, 
presentation of that. It uses bad news, good news. Two points under bad news, two points under good news. Two illustrations, two scriptures, two illustrations, two scriptures. Very easy to memorize. Now, some people say, oh, I don't want to memorize the way. It'll seem too canned, too rigid. No, exactly the opposite is true. Because once you have it down, then from there you can launch out and talk about other things because you always know where to come back to. You understand what I'm saying? It's like once you learn the fundamentals of driving, it's ri- yeah, it's rigid and everything. But after a while, you know, you can start texting. No, no, you, sh- you can start looking at your phone or eating a hamburger because you're a good enough driver. You got it down. You know what to come back to your skills. So I encourage people to be trained or prepared in some way of sharing the gospel. Always carry some kind of gospel literature with you. Don't make me a hypocrite. Always carry something with you uh, that will present the gospel. You never know when the opportunity will arise. We had a roof put on our house Tuesday, an insurance claim, because we have the big hailstorms in Texas. So we had uh, 10 Mexicans working on our roof. None of them spoke English except for the boss. So I recently had our gospel track that we use. It's really a booklet um, called The Good News of Grace, translated into Spanish. So I haven't used them yet. I just got them a little while ago. So I brought a handful of them out there. At, at the end of the day, you know, it was 104 degrees. They're up on my roof. They're all covered in sweat, and they're tired, and they're all sitting down, refreshing themselves. The work is done. And I, I handed out this track, and I wanted to say something to them in Spanish. So I got my Google Translate out on my phone. And... Um, uh, what I said to them is, it's very hot today, but hell is hotter. <laughs> Got their attention. <laughs> El infierno es más caliente. Did I say that right? I don't even know. Hell is hotter. And you know what? They weren't offended. They took the booklets and they sat down under the trees and they read the booklets. Not a typical American response. But these guys were open. So be prepared. I couldn't share verbally with them, so that's the best way I could share with them. But learn a way to present the gospel so you'll feel confident, so that you can, you can always come back to that, and you can go talk about other things, but always come back. You know where you're coming back to. And it actually makes it more of a relaxed time, not a rigid time. And you can be more spontaneous. There's two reasons, they say, that people don't share the gospel. One is fear, and the other is they don't know what to say. Fear we understand, but part of that fear is the fact that we don't think we know what to say. So if we felt confident in how to start a conversation, how to present the gospel, and how to finish the conversation, then we would have less fear. Does that make sense? But you know, recently I read another reason. It's a cultural reason. Uh, why people are not sharing the gospel so much. And I'll just share it with you. Um, and it has to do with the, they surveyed millennials. This is a survey from Barna Research Group, May 20, 2021. They found that millennial Christians know more unbelievers, like close friends and family, than older generations. They're real social. They know more. And then they found almost every single one of them believes sharing the gospel is part of their Christian faith. 96% of these millennials who are Christians believe that sharing the gospel is part of what they should be doing. Millennial Christians were also most confident in being able to share their faith compared to old other generations. They're confident in doing that. 73% of them felt like they could share the gospel. However, 
47% believe it's wrong to share one's personal belief with someone of a different faith in hopes that one day they will leave that faith and become a Christian. Now, where did that attitude come from? Well, it comes from the culture that says you can't tell somebody they're wrong. That's being judgmental. Isn't that our culture today? And so they've absorbed the culture that we can't, we can't insist that there's one way or that there's a truth. This is all modernism, postmodernism. And uh, we can't insist that there's a truth that's, that would be, um, uh, that would be um, dogmatic, that would be closed-minded, that would be judgmental to tell someone they're wrong. So add that into a reason that people aren't sharing their faith these days. Well, what you've seen today then is four dimensions of evangelism, the, uns- the backside of what God is doing and Satan is doing and what's happening in the unbeliever's life and should be happening in ours, all in hopes that it encourages us to do evangelism more effectively and strategically, knowing what's going on behind the scenes. And we should be aware of what's going on and do our outreach accordingly. So, start that list. Start to pray for people. Learn a way to present the gospel, and I think you'll see some of that fear evaporate, and you'll see some great things happening. Let's pray. Our Father, we realize that um, the most important work we can do for you this side of eternity is sharing the gospel with people and that's what Jesus came to do is to save sinners and we want to join in that work and so I ask for each one of us here today that you would impress that upon our hearts in an urgent and serious way that we might be more effective in how we reach out to people how we share the gospel remind us to pray remind us of what Satan is doing. Remind us of what you're doing and help us to prepare. And if there's anyone in the sound of my voice who has doubts about what's going on, may they also understand there's a lot going on in the battle for their souls. And may the gospel of Jesus Christ break through that, the light of the gospel message that Jesus died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead and simple faith, believing in his promise of eternal life, We'll see them saved forever. May that be their, their desire today. Not by works, not by prayer, not by ritual, not by joining a church, but simple faith in what Jesus has done on our behalf. So that's our prayer today, Lord. And I pray your blessings upon this church as they continue to engage in evangelism missions around the world. We're so thankful. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.